This is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Thanks for your support via patreon.com and email transfer mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. Wilana. Sunday afternoon here uh, in the studio as I'm speaking to you. A gentle day, a few degrees below zero, not much wind, snow on the ground, but it brightens up the day at this time of year when there's not a lot of color. And the uh, the cloud is kind of like Mother Nature's sunglasses, taking the, the glare as, uh, as you look out the window. A good day for reflection. And I want to reflect with you, Dear listeners, whether you would be Mi'kmaq, other indigenous, settler, ally, whoever and wherever you are. The occasion for this reflection is, uh, in part, the meeting of the Halibu Chief and Council yesterday, Saturday, yesterday as I speak. And we are at a moment in small ways and big ways. And that was brought home to me yesterday at the council meeting that took place uh, online, a meeting of the the new council, the first regular council meeting, half uh, new members, four women. Uh, It may be the most effective council we've had thus far, but there are challenges. It's clear after the meeting yesterday that the struggle that is affecting Indigenous people across North America is uh, is very much part of our struggle on the island of Newfoundland also, Tukumkuk. And I want to bring home to you today uh, what's at stake for all of us, wherever we are. Uh, it's partly that in this new uh, era of decarbonization, we in our territories have the materials, the minerals, so desperately needed for the decarbonization efforts, copper, cobalt, and other materials needed in particular for those electric vehicles. And whether it be in the United States, in northwestern Ontario, or in Newfoundland, as we will discuss, in our territories that those materials are located, including in my very own community of York Harbor, Newfoundland, on the mountain that I see when I look out my front window. So this hits home for me. Uh, it's very close. So we are being to a- we're being asked to sacrifice our land so the world can deal with this problem of climate change caused by unsustainable practices that began after colonization. So we're being asked once again to pay the price for mistakes that aren't ours. So let's go back to that meeting yesterday of Halibu First Nation. For those of you who aren't members, Halibu is the second largest First Nation in Canada with more than 20,000 members, the largest Mi'kmaq First Nation. But we have a problem. The problem is the Bank Council, in particular the chief and band manager, and some of the councillors. Uh, 
who see themselves more as an economic development agency rather than an indigenous organization. As was made clear yesterday, and one of the presenters was Marathon Gold, which is the proponent for a massive open-pit gold mine being developed on one of the most environmentally sensitive areas on the island of Newfoundland, on the uh, in the middle of Carib- caribou migratory routes, the the very the routes they travel for the uh, for their spring and uh, and fall treks, and also the headwaters of several major rivers, including the most important salmon river on the island, the Exploits River. Uh, ironically, one uh, earlier, uh, uh, Jamie Powell, one of the um, the marathon uh, staff, said that if you were choosing the worst place to build a gold mine, this would be it. Uh, but as he said, uh, you have to go where the where the gold is, and um, and here they are in this uh, in this very special uh, area. Currently, this project is being reviewed by provincial and federal regulators, which have given Marathon a hard time asking for information on uh, various things, on, uh, in particular on their plan to mitigate the impact on caribou from this project, information on how they intend to manage the risk from a possible incident in one of the nearby hydro dams. These are, these are old dams, not the best constructed dams in the world. So if through the dynamiting or other uh, operational effects, there was a, a dam collapse or a flood and all this water uh, flowed downhill, because everywhere around this area is downhill, what would be the consequences and how to deal with the risk? So they, uh, the regulators wanted more information about that. And they wanted uh, the Impact Assessment Agency of Canada, which is the federal regulator, wanted information on exactly how Marathon had consulted with Indigenous groups, as they are obligated to do under the federal statute, which may have been why Marathon was there yesterday to try and tick off that box on its, uh, on its to-do list. So there they were, uh, at the meeting yesterday, and incidentally, uh, yesterday we were provided information that of nearly 100 people employed on that project, only two have identified as Halibu members, thereby uh, driving a stake through um, the justification given by Halibu leadership, uh, the chief in particular, about uh, why they're supporting such a high-risk project. There's always jobs, jobs, jobs. Uh, those jobs haven't materialized, and uh, if this is a, uh, a sign of how things will unfold, uh, there doesn't seem to be, that seems to be more mirage than reality. So despite all that, despite the recently released report from the regulators about deficiencies in the marathon work, despite those appalling job numbers, there were no hard questions about any of that. Chief Brendan Mitchell seemed more concerned about the bottom line. He said, I know the investment is tremendous, half a billion dollars spent and nothing out of the ground. And that was as hard-hitting as it got. Shocking, really. Right after the marathon appearance, there was another presentation. 
This one by a Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia company called Community Winds Incorporated, which wants to build a mammoth wind farm containing 600 to 800 turbines, either near Burgio on the south coast or a little farther east on an area that contains the headwaters of the Grey River. The project will produce hydrogen power, we were told, that would be converted to ammonia for a transport and then turned back into hydrogen. Keith Towes from Community Winds Incorporated says that uh, there's going to be tremendous demand for hydrogen uh, in the decarbonization era because heavier vehicles like transport trucks and heavy equipment airplanes uh, will need hydrogen. Uh, the larger vehicles can't run on electricity like the electric uh, vehicles. So this is the, uh, this is the market. And uh, of course, there's always the promise of, uh, of jobs. Uh, 800 to 1,000 people during construction and 300 permanent jobs. So that's the, uh, that's the offer. But uh, less stressed was the environmental impact of such a project. Almost inevitably, that area would impact on caribou migration routes, just like the Marathon gold mine. So the it'll be a double whammy for a caribou. They'll have to deal with uh, this massive gold mine, and then a little farther south, they'll be uh, dealing with uh, these construction areas of these uh, of these many hundreds of of turbine turbines. The other thing about this project is it will be built on areas that are dismissively described as bog. It makes it sound like the land is is worthless when you say it's just bog. But in fact, this is these areas, also known as peat, are very important in uh, in dealing with uh, the carbon in uh, in the environment. They are carbon sinks. They actually uh, absorb the the carbon and are are actually, part of uh, valuable uh, areas uh, to maintain if we are to deal with uh, decarbonization, as Keith Tells was describing it. So uh, it's a bit counterproductive to uh, destroy these uh, many areas of, uh, of peat to build these uh, turbines. So what is, the, what is the math on that? What is the environmental uh, calculation? Uh, are we any farther ahead? Questions to be, to be asked and answered. But not uh, not yesterday. Uh, once again, uh, uh, a kind of superficial uh, treatment of this matter by uh, by, in particular, the chief, who um, who wanted to know not about caribou or peat, but about the the cost when it was uh, when, it, when it was completed uh, more than ten years from now. The answer: ten billion dollars. To which the chief replied, holy smokes, a lot of money. Truly, our chief, the MBA grad, is a numbers guy. So, we have the Marathon Gold Mine at Valentine Lake. And by the way, that's just one of many that are slated for this area of Newfoundland, this vein of gold that runs all the way from the southwest to the northeast. Uh, so, Marathon... Uh, if things go according to how the gold industry would like, will not be the only uh, mine uh, on the on the island. 
so we have gold mining. We have this uh, possible uh, mammoth uh, turbine development of 800 turbines on caribou migration routes and this valuable uh, peat. Uh, and there's a third thing that we're watching for on the island, and this is mining for copper and cobalt in the Bay of Islands, the area where I'm from that I told you about earlier, and a little farther to the southwest out towards Stephenville. And like the, the wind turbine development, th this mining is propelled by the need for copper and cobalt for the electric vehicle. About these uh, copper and uh, cobalt uh, exploration, we Halibu members have heard nothing about it from the band. We've picked up some information from town council and just seeing people around. So it's hard to know whether Halibu does not know or does know and hasn't inform, informed the membership. It's hard to know which is worse. That's where we are. And we in Newfoundland, like Indigenous people elsewhere in North America, are dealing with the fallout from the need to decarbonize. So not too long ago, we were standing up in Standing Rock to the um, Dakota Access Pipeline to carry uh, fossil fuels uh, south across Indigenous territory. So now we're dealing with the green phase of of uh, the uh, the energy uh, history, the need to decarbonize. And once again, we are paying the price. The In the United States, there's a priority to get copper and cobalt from domestic sources rather than from uh, countries in Africa that are like Congo that are seen to be uh, less secure. So there's more security about these vital supplies if they are obtained from uh the United States. But guess what? Those minerals are contained very frequently on indigenous territory. Uh, once again, we are uh, in, the, uh, in the firing line of these, uh, of these urgent um, uh, processes. So indigenous people, to some extent, are sharing the same challenges. But some of us are dealing with those challenges without a supportive indigenous leadership. So uh, we have um, Halibu, which is not uh, an ally in our struggle to defend land and water. On the contrary, it is an impediment. It is making our job more difficult because they are giving social license, PR points to Marathon Gold, and probably if they s maintain the same mentality to uh, a um, a wind farm developer, all about the economic development, nothing about the environmental implications, the impact on traditional land and water. What do we do? Uh, we have to uh, pressure our war councillor, our chief, our vice chief, the director of natural resources, anyone we can think of, we have to bring the information to them, express our concerns, and we have to support our true allies in this struggle, the environmental groups, the salmon preservation groups that are out there, underfunded, mostly volunteer-run and without the resources, but they're the ones on the ground. And we have to inform our, our own people. Uh, there is a 
almost a media blackout in Newfoundland from CBC and the other outlets about what's going on with mining. Almost zero coverage, even though such uh, important decisions and developments are taking place. So that's uh, that's the struggle uh, that faces us. Imagine what a difference there would be if Halibu was a an ally in the struggle to defend land and water rather than an aider and a better of these natural resources developments. It would be transformative, a game changer. Both First Nations on the island of Newfoundland are terrible environmental stewards. Meowbegag on the south coast has been in bed with the fish farm industry that has been implicated by DFO scientists in the uh, near extinction of the Atlantic, of the wild Atlantic salmon on the south coast. The toxins, sea lice, and, and other things produced by these fish farms are, um, an, are a factor in why we almost have no Atlantic salmon left. And of course, we know that Halibut has never met a natural resource project that it did not like. So that's the situation we have in Newfoundland. Thankfully, we have models of other First Nations band councils that are taking a different course, that are standing up for their lands. And we note the uh, Treaty 9 First uh, Nations in northwestern Ontario, the uh, well-known Ring of Fire, the area where Premier Doug Ford wants to have um, lots of uh, lots of mining. But those communities are fighting for a proper environmental assessment before they allow that project to go ahead. So even though they're trying to be rushed along, let's get this going so we can build these electric vehicles and save the planet, they're not uh, they're not falling for that, and are are standing up for their territory, which contains chromite, nickel, copper, gold, diamonds, very valuable materials that these companies would like. But it's their territory, and uh, they want to make sure that they don't make uh, the wrong decisions. And interestingly, those areas also contain a lot of peat, a lot of the so-called bog area, uh, as does the south coast of Newfoundland. And for those communities, they are known as the the breathing lands because of the way in which the, the vegetation sucks in those, those tons of carbon uh, and holds it uh, for the planet. So it's... Um, it's great to see we have some positive role models and we'll uh, follow very closely what happens up there in the Treaty 9 territory. That's it for the program this week. Mi'kmaq Matters is made possible by listener support, by the support of listeners like you. Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters or e-transfer to mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for the latest Mi'kmaq news and views. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Rachel Dial is our researcher. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Emsit Nogamah. <laughs>